What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Father, we just thank you that you are here. God, I thank you for just the message that you have placed in your son's heart. That we would be people motivated by your love. And I pray, God, that you would just do a mighty work today. A mighty work in your children. That you would just speak, speak through Fred. That you would just refill his cup so that he overflows with the truth from your word. And God, may it penetrate our hearts so that we walk out of here changed more in love with you. And so we just commit this service to you, God. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. And we thank Pastor Chris for the invitation to come and share. Um, it's our kind of claim to fame here is our son Paul is part of the church. He was in the early service. And uh, we have two of our sons are PBA grads. And, uh, and we have two daughter-in-laws. Uh, our older son actually came and moved to Florida, and he met a PBA uh, student, and he married her. So we have two PBA grad sons and two PBA grad daughters-in-law. So, you know, Sometimes they ask these parents, well, what are you getting for your kids' education? It's like, wow, we got a lot there, you know. So, so uh, not only that, but uh, all the training, all the uh, impartation of life. And, and so we're just delighted to be here. We're, we're proud of our son, Paul, and we're, we're thankful to be part of this church. Uh, we travel uh, around the world um, ministering to Muslims and training missionaries, training people that are ministering to Muslim people. We are in a time in history where Muslims are starting to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Very, very encouraging. We know that the prayers of many, the labors of many, the sowing of the seed of many who have not even seen the full harvest is coming to fruition in our time, and we're thankful for that. And uh, one of the blessings, too, is if you're, if you're overseas, we've just been half a year in Albania and also North Africa, get to watch some services online. So, uh, you know, even over there, it's, uh, if you're a late sleeper, like the 11 a.m. service uh, here in Albania, it's 5 p.m., so you can, like, really tune in late after you've gone to church yourself or whatnot. So, uh, enjoying the messages, enjoy the series on uh, in, in the books of Timothy and also on Revelation, and we appreciate the chance to come and share uh, with you. Uh, my own background, just by way of introduction, is Islamic. My dad came to this country from Iran. Uh, my mom is a Midwestern girl from St. Louis, and uh, we lived in Iran when I was small. We were born and raised Muslim. And it's an interesting thing about the name of the church, uh, Bow Down Church. Um, you know, I don't know if there's other Bow Down churches. It's not been franchised yet. It's kind of one of those unique church names. You know, you, you have some that are kind of they're, they're trendy, and there's a lot of churches by that same name, you know. Uh, but here, Bow Down is kind of unique. And for Muslims, it's an interesting thing because the, uh, the house of worship for Muslims called the mosque uh, is, in Arabic, it's known as masjid. Uh, and that literally means the place of bowing down. 
And so for Muslims, uh, the, the word sajda means, you know when Muslims, if you've ever seen it on TV or newspapers or articles, when you bow down and touch your forehead to the, the floor, as Muslims, that's considered the, the greatest place of submission uh, in ritual prayers to, uh, to the Almighty, and that that is called sajda, and the mosque is called masjid, which means the place of bowing down. So the first time we came to this church a few years ago, I was like struck by the name, bow down church, you know, and, and I pray and hope that many, uh, even Muslims will come in here and get saved. But the, the key thing is, is bowing down before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus Christ. And even in my own life as a young man, Back in the 1980s, the gospel came to me, Jesus' love came to me, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And uh, my wife and I, I met, uh, met her as a college student, and uh, we've been in ministry ever since. Um, I'd like to open our attention and open our Bibles together to 2 Corinthians 5. So uh, we're not in Revelation, but that regular program we will be continuing next week. Uh, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5, and uh, the theme of the message is, the love of Christ controls us. So we'll look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, and the theme is, the love of Christ controls us. The message says, or the word says, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Wow. Paul says a lot in there to the church at Corinth. And, um, and I have to remember, this service is live streamed, so uh, I'm not sure how much I can walk without losing touch with the camera. But uh, if so, you'll hear a voice, and uh, you won't see a, It'll be an apparition. But anyway, I like to, to move around a little bit. And uh, the, the message here about the love of Christ controlling us, we pick up a couple themes and a couple even words that we have to unpack. One is, um, is this idea of controlling. Uh, another is where it says... The love of Christ controls us, having concluded thus. And actually, you see there's kind of a, a connection there uh, between uh, the, control, the controlling and the conclusion. Now, my wife and I, we do a lot of teaching in Bible college and missions trainings uh, schools, so we, we get to read and even grade our fair share of term papers. Any of you students here? Yeah? Okay, a lot of you are students. So uh, if you're college students, you're getting ready for... Uh, the end of the semester, you probably have research papers and term papers coming. Anyone have those coming due? Okay, even high schoolers as well. Um, let me ask you a question. What in a paper is easier to write, the introduction or the conclusion? What do you think? Introduction is easier to write? Okay, they got you writing papers young. How about the other ones? They get early admission. I know the schools do this nowadays. Uh, Others, what's easier to write, conclusion or introduction? You said conclusion? There's a mixed, uh, there, there's a mixed variety of answers. Yeah, there's probably no one right or wrong answer. Uh, sometimes you get a paper that has no conclusion, like it just ends abruptly with an illustration, and you're thinking, okay, th this needed a conclusion, right? Well, uh, in this text of Scripture, Paul, he talks about this idea 
having concluded thus. That's right in that first uh, verse of, uh, of 2 Corinthians 5.14. And this word for conclusion, if, if you have another translation of the Bible in English, it might have the word judged, okay? Anyone have judge in your Bible? Uh, or it basically means to conclude, to judge, or to evaluate. The, the Greek word behind that is chrono, uh, krino. And it's important because the conclusion is what? What is the conclusion that Paul's talking about? One died for all. Wow. There is a lot in there. Those four words, if we unpack them, one died for all. There's a lot behind that. You know, the Bible is condensed. It's like, you know, uh, it's like pure uh, condensation. If you got four words, one died for all. Well, why would one need to die for all? Why? Because we are sinners, right? We're sinners that need a savior. Uh, if you find uh, most of the philosophies of this world and even the religions, the religion I was raised in in Islam, the basic idea is that people are not sinners. If they're well-guided, then they will go in the right direction, which, uh, which you know, is well-intended, but it's not actually true. We have a problem deeper than just needing information or guidance. We have a sin problem. And, and so one the Lord Jesus Christ, died for us. He came and he died for us. So we're sinners that need salvation. And today you can know that God loves you so much that he came down on this cross and died for us. And we don't celebrate it just once a year at Easter and, you know, the crucifixion and resurrection. But this is a truth that you can know, that you can uh, receive by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the one died for all. And and why? Why? I mean, you think about the love that all Jesus endured for us. You know, if we talk about persecution, no one knows it better than Jesus. We only have maybe scratched the surface of it in this lifetime. Even in, even in missionary work, even in Muslim context, people might go through some persecution, but it just scratches the surface because Jesus came to this world and he was tried in every way, just like we were, and especially in this area of persecution. One who didn't deserve any ill will, didn't deserve any harm, but he took it all, one died for all. And, and this conclusion really is the bedrock of our lives. The, the, our life is, 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 is strengthened, is fortified, is propelled by this conclusion. And conclusions are important, not, I mean, for term papers or for research papers or even an article in a newspaper. Yeah, it's good to have a conclusion and a summary. But for life, those conclusions, those evaluations are hugely important. And, you know, if we, if we talk about judging, evaluating, well, we live in a time when people, you know, uh, let's, let's take the word judge. Is the word judging uh, considered positive or negative? Negative. Okay. The, the younger ones, they're just quick off the bat here, you know. And, and so judging is considered negative, right? You hear, judge not. Yes, lest you be judged. We hear that. Don't judge. Don't judge. Well, uh, I think the idea is, yes, we don't want to condemn, okay? We don't want to cast a railing judgment that condemns people to hell or condemns them away from the love of God. But in fact, in life, we have to judge. We have to evaluate. We have to conclude. Jesus said in John 7, 24, the same word, okay? Do not judge according to outward appearance, 
but judge with righteous judgment. So judging is important. Evaluating is important. Uh, in all of life, we do that. Not, uh, not because of um, you know, discrimination or bigotry or anything. It's just in life, we always have to evaluate what is going on and make decisions, come to a decision. So in this section, this verse, we want to get to the conclusion, and that requires uh, being able to make evaluations, come to decisions. And there are several things that are helpful. Uh, I would say probably one at the top, two in the middle, and maybe a, a third one that's, that's also helpful. To make any kind of informed conclusions and judgments and evaluations, we would need some frame of reference or some rules or something. Like if you, uh, if you, if you follow any kind of sport, any kind of sport, like, uh, okay, we're right now Final Four, and, you know, there's the men's and the women's tournament is going on, right? And so you got in the, in the, in the court, you got referees, they got to blow fouls, and was that traveling, was that not traveling, and, and was that a foul, was that not a foul? There's rules. They make a judgment based on those rules that give them the basis for the evaluation. For the Christian, what we need is the Bible. The Bible gives us a frame of reference to uh, understand life around us, to decide and determine what is wrong, what is right, what is wrong, what is moral, what is immoral, what is ethical. Our, our evaluation has to be informed by the Bible. That's why ingesting large doses and continually reading the Bible is a lifelong thing for the Christian, because this is God's basis for conclusion. You know, uh, any of you have kids? Uh, uh, I see a lot of them here. You know, and the kids will say, you know, it's not fair. You know, this happened. This isn't fair. Um, and and as parents, you deal with that because kids will uh, make that kind of um, comment from time to time. The Bible is our frame of reference. Uh, the other thing we need is, a, is an element of critical thinking, you know, and not just letting other people make conclusions for us. And one of the challenges we face in our time uh, is that we live in a, uh, we live in a kind of an area, a time where there's a lot of media narratives and echo chambers, you know, where they say, this is the conclusion, and you have to accept this conclusion, and we made the conclusion for you. You don't even have to think about it or assess does this seem reasonable or not? You know, I, uh, I, I, couldn't, I could give a thousand, well, I could give uh, many examples. One was this conclusion that people made that said the earth is ending in eight years because of climate change issues. Now, it, it would seem that, yes, as believers in Christ, we want to be good stewards of God's environment, of, you know, as best we can, we do everything we can to uh, be good stewards. Even we re recycle all of our garbage contents very, very scrupulously to, you know, help the environment. But the conclusion that the world is going to end in eight years, what it does is it creates this amazing urgency that such and such has to happen because this is going to happen based on a conclusion. Now, some people may say, well, gee, does it really look... Uh, reasonable that that would happen, uh, and so we would need to apply some critical thinking to those conclusions. And then, uh, in addition, what helps us is the knowledge of history. History actually is very important, and one of the things we've noticed in visiting this church uh, in person and also watching online, I love how Pastor Chris continually drops uh, you know, elements of history, historical examples, historical anecdotes, analogies. This really helps us because, uh, yes, 
the Bible actually gives us amazing amount of history. The Bible's written over 1,500 years. If you just read the Bible, actually, you're, you're going to be strong in history because uh, you got all of the major empires over a 1,500-year period, the Babylonians, you're talking about the Greeks, the Persians, uh, you, you're going all the way, you can uh, talking about the Egyptians. So you have a lot of that history. You have the New Testament history that you're, you're inculcating. And then the application to church history. Wow, how helpful that is when we have to make evaluations about life today. Because most of the challenges that people face, of course, some things are new, like social media and stuff is, wasn't around in Bible time. But as Pastor Chris said, you know, the same dynamics are at work uh, in, in, in that time and this. In fact, I was just noticing in 2 Corinthians 6, the very next chapter, where, where Paul says... Uh, He's talking about their ministry in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 8, he says, he's talking about what's said of them. By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true. So it's like, okay, yeah, we're dealing sometimes as Christians with misrepresentation, false narratives being set against us, but it's not new in the history of the church. So if you have that anchoring in the Bible, and then you know church history, it really fortifies us for today and helps us in their area of making good and godly conclusions. So uh, think about that, the Bible being your frame of reference, using you know, critical thinking skills and not just believing everything we read or hear about, you know, is this, is this really reasonable? And then the history actually does help us a lot. And, and that's why there's such a battle for history, you know. Even in, uh, for example, in any country where you have uh, a change of government, for example, Iran, the country my family is from, or my wife's family is from Ukraine, you know. When the Soviets came in power there, the communists, they had to take over the educational system, redo the history textbooks because they want to change the narrative. Our country, too, is it like 1619? Is it 1776? There's a battle for the history because the history controls the narrative and the narrative shapes the conclusions, and the conclusions are very important. Now, our conclusion is one died for all. Jesus died for us. We are sinners, but God didn't leave us helpless in his love. He came down, and Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And because of this conclusion, Paul mentions at the beginning of that verse 14, the love of Christ controls us, having concluded. So the, there's a linkage between the conclusion and the love of Christ controlling us. Now, we might think if you, if you have a different translation of the Bible, you might have the, the love of Christ compels us or the love of Christ constrains us or controls us. And let's, let's do a little dive into what this is meaning because in general, you might have uh, reservations or questions about control. What, what is control? I mean, uh, if, if you say someone's a control freak, okay, now that's not a, a great term, right? Uh, so what is the control? Is this God meaning he wants us to be a robot? And I'm not going to try to do that kind of thing. I'm not so great at it. Does he want us to just be a drone for Jesus, you know, a, a machine? No, not at all. That's not what God's looking for. If we dig into the word a little bit more, we see that the word uh, here for control is the word senejo, which means to compel, to constrain, or even to hem in. If, if, we, if we use the expression hem in, let me give you some illustrations. Um, 
Jesus, uh, do you remember when he was approached by the big crowd and he was touched on the hem of his garment by the, women, by the woman with the issue of blood? And he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And in Luke uh, 8, where that ha happens, in verse 45, Peter says, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. So the people are, you know, they got him, Jesus is, is uh, kind of trapped in there like sardines, right? He's packed in there. And, and Peter says the people are crowding in. And that word is the same word for control. So you're kind of crowded in. You're kind of hemmed in. Um, to Even the word to be, say, in the Bible where it says someone is gripped or taken by a fever, that is that same word of being constrained, kind of being controlled, kind of being hemmed in. Uh, an illustration that we could use is if any of you um, have seen like when they have the Kentucky Derby and there's like a big horse race, you know, those are very exciting because um, it's an event that lasts like two minutes, but there's all this excitement. And, uh, and so when those horses are coming out, they, they all kind of like prancing and jumping and then they got those, you know, thin little jockeys on top of them and the horses are all getting ready to go. They got so much energy. And what they have to do is they have a, a guide that's leading them into that gate, you know, that gate, that turnstile. And sometimes the horses don't want to enter. They, they, they buck back against it because they're all full of energy and they want to move. But they have to come in to that area of constriction. They have to come into the area because the rules that if it's going to be a fair start and a, and a just conclusion, all the horses have to start in the same place in the same same time. So they get hemmed in. They do get hemmed in there just for the beginning of the race. And then as soon as the race starts, it's almost like they're fired out of a cannon. You hear the, the shot or the buzzer go off and boom, the gates open and those horses take off. And that's how I kind of think of, of us as Christians. You know, yes, we have some constrictions, but we are being like fired out of a cannon in the power of the Holy Spirit, the jet stream of the Holy Spirit. And, and so we might have some, some constriction. For example, maybe before this service, uh, there was two services, so this is, of course, the second one. But if, if this morning before the service starts, you know, pastor gets a call on his phone or texting, and it's the worship team, and they say, pastor, we are uh, not going to be there today. Text back, why? We're going to the beach Waves are good today. The weather is good. It's like uh, service starting in 15 minutes. Uh, sorry, Pastor. We're free. We're free. We're not under any constriction. We're not under any commitment. You would think, wow, that's, that's weak. That's, uh, that's you know, disappointing. Uh, but as believers, our commitments, sometimes they cause our conclusions that Jesus is first, that we worship him, that we, you know, on, on the Lord's day, we come together and worship. And if you have a commitment to the Lord, that can be constraining, that can be confining in a good way. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing and it's a freeing thing. Uh, another example of like being hemmed in a bit, um, local hero, local celebrity, Tiger Woods, right? So Tiger, great golfer, one of the, uh, maybe the best ever, uh, like 10 or 12 years ago, he went through this terrible time in his life where he was not under, the, he did not stay faithful to his marital covenant. He didn't stay constricted into the bounds of that marriage, and he caused himself a lot of pain, his family pain, and he had to walk through, you know, that in terms of trying to get his life back together. But you say, you say, wow, it's too bad he didn't allow himself to be constricted by his commitment. And so, um, in the life, sometimes we have, or sometimes we're hemmed in. But whereas 
In some situations, you think, well, control under the hand of a taskmaster, it can be very, you know, some of you have maybe worked for a boss that was very hard, very overbearing, uh, or, or some situation where you were not in a healthy relationship because the, of the control that was exerted, you think, wow, that's a bad thing. But when it's the love of Christ that is compelling us, infusing us with God's power, strengthening us, that is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing and so what I want to encourage you is your conclusions are going to naturally, naturally result in some kind of commitments, some kind of, uh, some kind of constraint, some kind of, uh, you know, compulsion. Compulsion, I mean, can, you can say, I got a compulsion to do such and such, and we may think of that as being like, you know, irrational and, and just of the flesh, but actually there's a, there's a compulsion and a constraining of the Holy Spirit when it's the love of Christ, the love of Christ that's controlling us. The love of Christ is compelling us. I mean, uh, you see it over and over in the Bible. In my own life, I was raised Muslim, and, uh, and I came to faith in Jesus by the mercy of God when I was a young, young man, 19 years of age. And one time I was reading Genesis chapter 3 as a new believer, and, and, and God gave me a, a verse for my life. And I, I got to be one of few believers in the world that got their life verse out of Genesis 3, because you got the fall of man and the serpent's head and all that stuff. Uh, but in Genesis 3, 23, God sends Adam out of the garden to cultivate the ground from which he's taken, right? You remember that? He says, you're going out of the garden, you got to cultivate the ground from which you're taken. And because I was from Muslim ground, the Holy Spirit said, you have to cultivate the ground from which you're taken, and that would be the Muslim ground. Now, now you might say, well, what's the meaning of that? Well, that conclusion, if I want to say that conclusion, actually makes my decisions in life a lot easier. Because that's the vision. So when I married, when I met Annette, she said, my heart is the mission field. My heart is the mission field. That was good. If, if, if she had a different call, it wasn't in the mission work, then my decision would have you know, been different in terms of, in terms of that. So you're, you're actually your conclusions help you if you have, based on the word of God, the impartation of the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to be kind of like God's agent. You know? and, and the church here... One of the beautiful things is that we see here God moving. I mean, um, we travel a lot, and we, we go to a lot of places, both in this country and other places, and I think there's, a, there's some kind of a DNA of revival. You know, we see the young people excited for Jesus. We see this area, you know, I mean, Palm Beach is known for a lot of things, wealth and, and vacation spot and whatever, but there is also this kind of um, under the headlines that God is moving here. And, uh, and so we want to encourage you to, be, to, to flow into that because you're going to see uh, God move in your lives and create such, such strong Christians and such strong churches where you're really touching a community, even like with this uh, urban youth uh, impact ministry where you're touching, touching the community because the love of Christ, the love of Christ is controlling. Now, when we think of controlling, uh, we don't think negative. We think of the love of Christ, so tender, the shepherd. And when we think of, uh, of, uh, of the ministry, look here at Paul, okay? You might think, what do I have in common with Paul? He's the great apostle Paul. He wrote so many books in the New Testament and da-da-da-da-da. Well, Paul 
in doing his missionary work, they go to Corinth. This is uh, narrated in Acts chapter 18. And, you know, you think the Oscars was a big to-do with all that went on there this week and the chichish and boom-boom. Well, <laughs> Paul goes into Corinth, and, and like many places, they start, uh, there's a riot. I mean, beatings, and here comes the judge, and here come, you know, people are being arrested, and the whole city is turned upside down. And finally, Paul, uh, God has to appear to Paul in a night vision. It's uh, narrated in Acts 18.9. He says, Paul, don't be afraid any longer, okay? And he encourages him that he has many people in that city, that God is with him, and that they're going to see a lot of fruit. No one's going to attack you to harm you. And that difficult situation. So Paul stays there a year and a half, okay? He stays there a year and a half in Corinth. And uh, later he spends time in Ephesus and Rome, but uh, this is the first time in, other than that time in Antioch, where Paul is gonna spend a lot of time in one place. They're having meetings. They're having discipleship. These meetings that Pastor Nestor was mentioning, I would imagine that it was something like what was happening in Paul's time. They were teaching people on marriage. They were teaching people on evangelism. They're teaching people on identity. They're meeting. They're praying. They're fasting. They're touching that community, right? And so Paul is there for probably a good year and a half to two years by the time he heads out. Then he gets later uh, first message from, from Chloe. Oh, Paul, bad news. The church in Corinth, not doing well. Divisions, major divisions in the church. Immorality, immorality in the church. Uh, they're going to law, a court against each other. They don't know how to take the communion. They're, you know, it would be like, you know, if, if I say, I'm feeling the hunger pangs coming on here, and I break out over there and I eat all of the elements and drink all of the elements, you know, wouldn't you think, bizarre, that was weird, that was selfish, you know. Well, in Corinth, they were having these kind of problems. People are coming, chowing down the communion. Paul's got to instruct them. Now, they have a lot of problems, but Paul doesn't quit the ministry. He doesn't quit thinking, I'm a failure. You know, I tried to plant a church, and nothing went, you know, well, it's a failure. No, the love of Christ was compelling him. The love of Christ was encouraging him to keep, to keep going. And later, uh, even after that, uh, before, between First and Second Corinthians, people came in and they said, you believe from Paul? little Pablito? No, we're the super apostles. Paul, you know, Paul is, you know, uh, been there, done that. And, and they were bad-mouthing Paul. And part of 2 Corinthians, uh, he talks about the ministry. You know, and he talks even a little bit about boasting and all the things that they've gone through uh, for the love of these people. He said, this is for you. This is not for us. We have done this for you. And he, and he in a sense, testifies to what the Lord has, has done through them and with them together. Yet, he doesn't quit. So he found a freedom in Christ to keep going. And if, if you're young in the Lord today, maybe say, well, how can I compare myself to Pastor Chris? You know, how could I ever preach? Well, there was a day when Pastor Chris was your age. Uh, and, and some people shepherd along. Uh, Pastor Bill, uh, Pastor Nestor, you know, fill in the blank. These worship leaders, they didn't show up overnight and just get, you've know, seen a lot of worship leaders, they've gone up and played the wrong key or, you know, sang the wrong key or whatever. But through practice, through the strength of the Holy Spirit, they continued on. They continued on in that, that compulsion, that jet stream of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you today, as we kind of bring this together, that in the same way that Jesus strengthened Paul, Jesus can strengthen you. In the same way that Paul built up that church in Corinth, 
God can build you up. You know, you might think, well, uh, you know, is it all victory? Is it all easy? Yeah, from God's perspective, it's, it's all victory. But from our perspective, uh, if you just turn the page back to 2 Corinthians 4, you look at how Paul describes the ministry, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. He says this, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, amen, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way. Let me think about it. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, take that, Chris uh, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so that death works in us, but life in you. And the, 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 the concluding word is on Christ-centered living. Christ-centered living. What Paul is talking about here is we've, we've come to a conclusion. Yeah? One died for all. We have now, we're under the control of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Even if we may be constricted in some ways, we're really free. What is the freedom leading to? What is the end result? Is that we're living not for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. And that's the beautiful thing. That's really what life in Christ is about. That's what the community life in Christ is about. That's what ministry is all about, living not on our own behalf, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. And, you know, we live in a, in a time, and, and this is not unique to America in the year 2022, because the, the human sinful nature tends to be very self-centered and self-absorbed. But we live in a time where it's really gotten into an exponential amount of narcissism. You know, uh, how many likes, how many views do I have, how many uh, friends, you know, and it's all self-absorption. Now, there is a healthy self-awareness we want to be good stewards of our time, our body, our energy, our resources, etc. You want to be good stewards of that. We, Jesus said, you know, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. So there's a healthy, uh, a healthy awareness of, of your place with Jesus as Lord, not as the person as Lord, but as Jesus as Lord. But we live in a time of a lot of narcissism, and it, it affects me too because uh, we, were going to be, we are going to be speaking in, in June at a conference on ministry to Muslims, and the organizer uh, had just made a little two-minute promo video, and he's saying, please come join us at this conference in Michigan. Uh, and we have a number of speakers, uh, Josh McDowell and, and others. And immediately when he started to say, we have a number of speakers, immediately I thought, it's my confession, oh, is he going to say my name? Uh, but he didn't say my name, right? And, uh, and Because actually, why not? Because people know Josh McDonald, they don't know me. But uh, it, it's not important, but I just said there's something reflexive almost in our nature of, of, uh, of narcissism, of self-absorption, that we have to bring that under the Holy Spirit because we live at a time where, you know, it's, it's gone haywire uh, the narcissism and the self-absorption. Uh, and, and it can be very deflating because then we start comparing ourselves to each other and say, well, this person has more friends than me, this person is popular and, or more Twitter followers or whatever the case may be, and we find ourselves, ah, you know, blah, discouraged. But in fact, uh, what Paul is telling the believers here in Corinth who had problems, who 
you know, definitely had as many problems as other believers. Probably of all the churches that Paul writes to, and uh, of course you're doing the churches of, uh, of Revelation now, um, you know, Smyrna, Thyatira, all of those churches, even Ephesus. Um, those are, other than Ephesus, they're not churches where Paul was writing epistles to. But of all the churches that Paul wrote epistles to, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you know, probably the Corinthians probably had the most problems. So uh, among churches, don't feel like, oh, I got more problems, God can't use me. He tells these believers, still yet, the love of Christ can control you. The love of Christ can control you if you've concluded this, that one died for all. And the, the, the beautiful thing is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live for the one who died and rose again on our behalf. And there is a lot of freedom. Uh, you know, other religions, other societies, uh, I'm not saying comparing American society to others, but in terms of the church situation here, that we're part of the kingdom of God. It's a, uh, you know, transnational, transgenerational movement of 2,000 years of God building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets from the time of Jesus and the apostles and that early church. That, that, that book of Revelation is so key because it's the, it's the most recent picture that we have in Scripture of God speaking to the churches, and it lays out so much. So that is so, so enriching, you know, uh, to see like these believers in Ephesus, you get pictures picture of them in Acts, you get a picture of them in the book of Ephesians, then you get a picture of them in Revelation. That really, that is really huge. But we are building on that foundation to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a needy, hungry, and dying world that need Jesus Christ. And, and we need Jesus Christ in our own lives. Amen? It's not we're preaching ourselves, and Paul says this as well, but we're preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ is with you. The love of Christ is constraining us. The love of Christ is controlling us. And I see that here God is launching. You know, this is an incubation and a launching pad and a strengthening place, a place where Jesus is worshiped. We bow down among, uh, before the only name, the name that is above every name, the Lord Jesus Christ. We bow down, we worship Jesus, we give him everything. And from there, a w wonderful fruit will happen. One of the problems we face, uh, and not to overly make it a news item but a, a, or a political item, but, you know, this whole thing with the COVID, uh, and I'm from a medical family, so I'm not throwing stones or, or, or that, but one of the issues was, okay, this is a new, issue, new illness. We, we have to find out what the diagnosis is and what are the, the, the uh, treatments, right? Uh, now, a lot of this was bungled, of course, but... Um, the issue with, with, with healthcare is you need a diagnosis before you get to uh, you know, a treatment. And so we see that the, the, the human problem is not lack of information, not lack of education. It's a sin problem. It's a sin problem. And then the diagnosis is that Jesus Christ is coming and giving salvation. Jesus Christ is coming and giving deliverance. And in Christ, we can have that. In the church, we have that communally. We're sharing the life of Jesus Christ. And from there, we're living not for ourselves, but on behalf of the one who died and rose again on our behalf. And I believe that you're going to take the spirit of revival, whether it be staying here. I know some students, you come from Met someone today from Nova Scotia. You know, uh, you might go back to another place that you've come from. You carry that spirit of that DNA of revival, and you'll miss it. <laughs> if you're in it, you don't maybe realize it, but if you go away from it, uh, then you say, wow, I really missed that spirit at Bowdown. I really missed that worship. I really missed that 
urgency, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, I've been watching some of the sermons, and you might think, well, uh, you know, from time to time, you might hear Pastor Chris or Pastor Nestor, they may have to apologize for their urgency or their intensity, you know, but let me tell you, the days of sleepy Christianity are over, you know, if you come to a conclusion, the conclusion is going to create urgency, right, if, if you're driving your car and you look down and you say, Oh, my word, I'm out of gas. You know, you're going to urgently get to the gas station uh, because of that conclusion that you've made. So we have come to a conclusion, and inherent in that conclusion is a bit of urgency, is a bit of, um, uh, you know, um, passion, passion. So passionate Christianity is needed in the mission field. It's needed here, uh, here in our own communities so that the love of Jesus will continue to expand. And we are living in a time, I believe, of harvest. We see, yes, maybe the news, you know, is, is negative, and, and certainly my wife's family being from Ukraine, it's very, very tragic. The good news is, I can share this with you, we've been from places from Cuba to Uzbekistan and other places. While you know, people are moving to Florida in droves. Have you heard that? <laughs> because the, the political and the economic is more favorable here, you know, and that's, that's a good thing. That's a blessing. Uh, but at the same time, the kingdom of God is not inhibited, or the kingdom of God um, can move regardless of the economic or political situation, so that even in countries like Iran, where it's a very oppressive theocracy, God is on the move. You know, we're in Cuba, very difficult economic situation. God is on the move. And so uh, you carry that DNA of revival with you because you're living not on behalf of yourself. Uh, you know, we, we think, do you ever notice today it's getting harder and harder to find anyone that's a good listener? And, and you think, well, Brother Fred, you've just been talking for 45 minutes. Why should you be talking about listening? But it's, it's, it's a reality. My wife and I were just sharing, you know, everyone nowadays, uh, uh, having listening skills is, is rare to have someone who doesn't just, you know, you can tell they're not really listening. What is that self-absorption? So, you know, getting back to some of those basics of Christ-centered living, living not for ourselves, but on behalf of the one who died and rose on our behalf. That is a blessing. To be in the kingdom of God, what a blessing. To be in this church, what a blessing. To uh, be continually strengthened and filled, almost like shot out of a cannon in the power of the Holy Spirit, what a blessing. And I pray that as you go on from this day and as we come into really giving a lot of focus to the death and resurrection of Jesus, which you do every week here, it's not a one-a-year thing, but as you know, the season comes to that, like, yes, appreciate, one died for all. Christ loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus paid for my sins, and therefore, I'm, based on that conclusion, I'm giving my life to Jesus. So I pray that you will do that. You'll continually do that, and may God bless you. May God strengthen you, and we are so glad to be here with you. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.